I'm Jay. I'm Adrian. And together we are the, the Two Crazy Cat Ladies. <laughs> I'm gonna cut you. I think I just peed. Buckle up. We're back in the closet. Welcome to episode number 119 of Back in the Closet with the Two Crazy Cat Ladies. OMG, guys, we are joined today by the one, the, the one, only, the only, the legendary. the legendary Dr. Judy Morgan. Thank you so much for joining us. We are uh, just like humbled to be in your presence. We absolutely yeah. love you and everything we're that you star do for struck. animals. Yes, we're super starstruck. No, for God's sake. <laughs> I, I'm so grateful, though, that you actually are taking the time to meet with us and our community. This is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, I don't know how you find the time. We'll get into that in just a, just a minute. But for anyone here who's been maybe living under a rock somewhere and does not know you or your books or your work, could you give a short intro to everyone about your magnificence and how you're changing the world? <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, I'm like the kitten mama right now because I got kittens coming out my ears all right this is Gigi. yeah she's a klingon oh my goodness Can you go down there for a minute there you go I, you should if you could see the floor i'm surrounded there's eight kittens and two mamas so um i am an integrated veterinarian which means that i started out as a very traditional veterinarian went to uh university of illinois so very midwest very traditional like you know we didn't talk about any of that woo woo stuff um so um about 10 years into practice, I discovered chiropractic sort of accidentally, and it was so cool, and I loved it. So then I started studying everything holistic I could find, which included acupuncture, um, homeopathy, twina, um, food therapy, herbs, like you name it. They're chewing cords. Uh, I, I even got into raindrop therapy, color therapy, light therapy, laser, like you name it. I had to dabble in everything so I could figure out what really um, stuck. And so I practiced uh, small animal practice. I had two clinics in New Jersey for 36 years. And I retired in uh, November of 2020 from clinical practice and moved south to North Carolina from New Jersey. And um, now I work very diligently at my educational platform, which is uh, drjudymorgan.com and drjudyu.com. And um, we have an e-commerce platform. And my goal is to change the lives of 10 million pets worldwide and make the life better for them. 10 million. Okay. Uh, I, I feel like you probably already hit that number. I think we have actually. Oh, I, I think so. Could, yeah. Oh, I, I, this is, I should never have let them in here because they're just a huge distraction and I apologize, but they're chewing on everything. <laughs> that's are always a distraction. Everybody gets it. Everybody okay. Gets it. okay. That's good. <laughs> because you said a word I've never heard before. What, and I, what is Twina? Twina. Okay. So, um, there are four branches of Chinese medicine and everybody thinks about acupuncture. That's kind of the most common thing that we think of, but the second is the Chinese herbs. So herbal medicine, um, versus like Ayurvedic medicine is from India. Uh, we have, uh, Western herbs, which are kind of the American way to do things. They're basically all the same plants. They just have different names. Um, and then we have food therapy, which is the energetics of food used for healing, which is kind of my shtick. Hi, Mama Kitty. And uh, then Twina is sort of a combination of massage and chiropractic. But wow. it's really cool because uh, if you're familiar with T-Touch at all, like they have all the different hand movements, you know, the leopard and the you know, whatever they all, my sister does that. Um, but so it's different motions that you're making with your hands, whether it's, a, you know, cupping or rotary motion or, a, you know, a kneading. And um, it's actually really powerful because it's something that we can teach pet owners to do at home. And so I would use that a lot in conjunction with animals that were coming in for chiropractic and acupuncture. And then I wanted my adjustments or my treatments to last longer. So I would tell the clients, okay, this is the area I need you to work on. This is the hand motions. And then using their forearm, I would give them the depth of touch that I wanted them to do so that we could stretch out the appointment times, particularly when we're bringing kitty cats into the hospital. They're not usually that thrilled about jumping in their little boxes and coming in and seeing strangers and dogs barking at them and all that. So if I could give clients things that they could do at home, um, it was always uh, you know better for the kitty cats. <laughs> Wow. Wow. And so now you live on a sanctuary. 
We have a farm sanctuary. I, I don't know what we were thinking because the, the whole idea with retirement was, okay, Gwen is going to take over running naturally healthy paths. It'll be great. I won't have to do anything. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, she does a great job, but she's not giving me a pass. Um, <laughs> I'm getting texted like 400 times a day. Have you done this yet? Have you done this yet? Have you written this? Have you, you know, have you taped that? Okay, honey, I'm catching up. Um, but, uh, and then we, my husband and I were going to take off cross country in our motorhome instead. Uh, and we were going to have a little tiny house that would be kind of like home base. Uh, that didn't work out. <laughs> so instead we bought 23 acres, uh, partly because Gwen had horses and she was boarding them. And I still had some horses left from previous years. So we needed to find a place for them. So we ended up buying 23 acres and, um, then we decided to make it into a farm sanctuary. So we rescued a bunch of animals from the kill pen, donkeys and goats and hinnies, which I was saying earlier, a hinny is a miniature horse donkey cross. So it's actually like a miniature mule because a mule is a horse donkey cross. Um, so they're, they're pretty cool. Little sprinkles. She's only 28 inches tall. She's kind of looks like a horse sort of, but she's only 28 inches tall. She's this little tiny thing. And sprinkles came with cupcakes. Sprinkles is like when they were given out the parts and pieces, she stood in the wrong line. She's got an overbite. I mean, she is so poorly built and she came with cupcake who is a dwarf. So a dwarf in a miniature horse has really weird, like they have crooked legs and these big round bellies. So they're, they're not put together right either. So Cupcake is as wide as he is tall. <laughs> and then there's Sprinkles, who's this little skinny thing that's just, they're cute. <laughs> oh my goodness. So how many, what how many heaven. beautiful beings total on, on your beautiful farm? Uh I think there's about 35 right now because we have chickens, we have goats, we have big, uh, Gwen has draft horses. So she's got the, the biggest horses that they make and I've got the smallest horses that they make. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. I and how that. many, and how many cats do you currently have in your, in your. Uh, cats? In your lap right now. <laughs> or, <laughs> um, there are eight kittens. So what happened, um, I, we came here with three adult cats uh, that have been my house cats, and they originated from my practice in New Jersey. On Wednesdays, we used to do spay, uh, shelter spay neuter day. So they would bring us 20 animals and we would just, you know, do our little assembly line. And if they would bring us a pregnant female who was like the kittens were fully cooked, we still had to spay them. That was the shelter rule. And the kittens were not allowed to go back to the shelter because they would die and nobody could take care of them. And there were too many diseases in the shelter. So the rule was if we delivered kittens in a, during a spay, we had to kill them. Well, of course. Oh, you know, my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, shelter rules. So here we are. We're a bunch of animal loving. Oh, my God. You know, do-gooders. We can't do that. <laughs> so every year we would have tons of litters that we would, we'd have to send the mommies back to the shelter. So we would have to bottle feed all these babies. Oh, wow. wow. So my daughter Gwen was working her summers in the clinic at that point. So she took one litter. I took another litter and we, some of them found homes and some didn't, we ended up with three of them. So these are bottle babies who are now, I don't know, 13 years old or so. Mm -hmm. So they've traveled around with us. Um, and then when we came here, when you have a farm, stray cats do show up. Uh, so Domino is a black and white cat. We thought she belonged to the people who live in front of us. They said, we don't have a cat. I'm like, this cat keeps coming from your house. They're like, we don't have a cat. Okay. Well, she showed up and brought two kittens. And when she brought them, they were probably 10 or 12 weeks old. And, uh, so we welcomed them into the barn and hoped that they would stay because we needed barn cats. Well, one of the, we literally set a quarter mile from the road easily where our barn is one of the kittens decided to go play in traffic which was hugh and i were away gwen texted me i was devastated she was the one that we loved the most so that was devastating and that is the problem with outdoor kitties unfortunately so but the mama kitty i was going to take her in and get her spayed and my mom said yeah she's looking a little fat and i could barely touch her at that point but i did manage to snag her and palpate her abdomen and went oh crap i'm too late so you know being the people that we are, we could not abort the kittens. So we're like, okay. So we kept watching her and watching her. And finally one day I was like, she's getting really close. 
I'm going to snag her and get her in a crate, put her in the crate, go out in the barn the next morning. And there's like kittens scattered everywhere in the crate. And I'm like, ah, so we <laughs> ran her into the house with her kittens. Well, then Gwen needed a place to live and we bought the neighbor's house. The neighbor's house came with porch kitty. Porch kitty was living under the house. So I snagged Porch Kitty to take her in to get spayed. And the vet clinic called me and said, um, she has milk in her mammary glands. We think she's pregnant and ready to pop. And I'm like, mm, take an x-ray. Took an x-ray. They said, she already popped. You have kittens somewhere. So we're not going to spay her. I'm like, okay, we'll go find kittens. So we literally spent three days crawling under Gwen's house. It's a manufactured home. So it's on these big girders and it sits up on cinder blocks. And so we're crawling around under the house. Gwen got a horrible case of pink eye from crawling around in the crud under the house. It took us about four or five days. And we kept sending Porch Kitty back out. She wanted to be in the house. And we kept sending her back outside. We're like, no, you got kittens. You got to go find them. Yeah. And so then a few days later, one by one, we ended up with three that came out from under the house. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So yeah, so we have Porch Kitty, we have Domino, and we have their eight kittens. Plus, we still have one kitten in the bar. Well, she's like nine months old now, and she's been spayed. And she was pregnant at the time of spay as well, So, but she was very early. So I was like, yeah, she's early. Go for it. Um, so yeah, there's going to be a lot of spay-neuter happening here soon. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I imagine. Or you're just going to end up having a cat sanctuary. I, I can't. Like, you would not believe. So first of all, they're all raw-fed. Like these are naturally reared kittens. So we haven't had any vaccines. Stool samples were negative. Leukemia and FIV tests were negative. And these were feral cats. So that was kind of amazing in itself. Yeah. But we have been feeding them a really healthy raw diet. So of course their coats are gorgeous. They've filled out. They're, they're beautiful. So of course the kittens are great. Um, so we're going to do the natural rearing with them. They've already started on their raw food. Um, and uh, vaccines will be extremely limited, even though some of them are going to go out and have the opportunity to go outside to the barn. Um, if they want to come back in the house, that's fine, too. I don't care. Um, I do need some mouse control, though. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's kind of hard when you're feeding them a good raw. Yeah, yeah. but feeding these cats i can't believe how much we're spending on raw because i'm doing commercial raw i'm not grinding my own for them it cats will break the bank so this is enough cats <laughs> yeah. like i'm done from here i'm done from i'm here. done i'm done they're breaking the bank <laughs> for anyone that's uh that's watching or listening um and you're in north carolina now so south carolina or north carolina so. Is it South Carolina? North. North. North Carolina. Um, then you are looking for homes for a few of them, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm keeping um, little Gigi, the gray one that I held up earlier. There's an orange girl, and orange girls are not that common. Ooh, and I love orange kitties. So her name is Applesauce because my granddaughter spilled applesauce on her, so she became applesauce. It's fitting. And then there's another one who's a little, like, sort of a torby. She's a torty tabby mix. Uh, that one got barbecue sauce spilled on her. So her name is barbecue. And uh, then the, their brother, who's a tabby, his name is zucchini. <laughs> <laughs> You've got just, some saucy kid. Just <laughs> because, like, it's because that's what she spilled on them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. One of my older cats is named eggplant. So it's, it fits. Oh, it's <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a food theme we've got going on with it. Well, eggplant got her name because when she was a kitten, she's, she's kind of this wonky gray. Sort of a dilute torty, but this wonky purpley gray. And when she was a kitten, Gwen looked at her and said, Oh my God, she's purple like an eggplant. I'm like, Okay, eggplant it is. <laughs> eggplant works. I'm sure they probably have a ton of different names too. Ours, uh, every cat ends up with like a, a nickname and then another right. nickname and then another nickname over time. So, oh, yeah. I just really don't like mittens nope. is mittens, Buddha is Buddha, and eggplant. Well, she's sometimes eggy, but that's about it. I mean, they're eggy. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. So speaking of uh, the, the vaccines, we want to really oh. talk today about your amazing course. Um, short, concise, to the point, and empowering. so empowering uh, I, I on have cat to, longevity. Go yeah, ahead. I have to say, though, real quick, what gratitude I think we have and everyone in our community that such an experienced veterinarian actually is taking the time to focus on 
our cats. Yes. You know, it's so often the, the pet, pet talks. And I, this course really is mind blowing. I think it's, I get goosebumps thinking about it. There are things that we've learned we never even knew about. <laughs> well, that's good. If I can teach you something, because you guys are kind of, I got to pick this up. You guys are kind of cat gurus. Yeah, well, we learn. We learn from. Uh, we learn from the best. The but, real girl. But it is. I mean, it's it's actually pretty rare, even now, for for veterinarians. I know there's a lot more cat advocates coming out and speaking people in the cat health world. But for um, but for a veterinarian to actually focus on cats specifically um, is is especially a holistic veterinarian to to um, or integrative veterinarian to focus on cats specifically and longevity. Longevity is something that you know we are yes. super passionate about. We are um, we are on the mission to build the longest living cat in the Yay. right. And so that's like so that's our goal. And so taking this course was absolutely amazing. Um, and you just you you really put it in simple terms, um, and yet and yet it's so empowering, as you said, empowering. Um, so, so I have a question for you. What you guys have? What eight cats right now? Six. 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 Okay. What's the longest one of your cats has ever lived? 21, almost. Uh, he was a, a month, month away, away from, from 22. 22. Okay. And yeah. My longest was 21 as well. Yeah. And he, and he was actually, I mean, we did everything wrong with him. Wrong. You know, I mean, we mine were, too. Like mine started off, I mean, we got better in the, the second half of the life, but the first half of her life, I mean, all wrong. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was probably the last like three or four years of his life that we, started learning and, and putting more into, um, into, you know, longevity, you know, feeding them the right foods and giving them more exercise and going more of the holistic route with, uh, with medicines and things like that. But, um, but yeah, we, I mean, the oldest living cat was 38, 39 years old. And, um, and I love that you say, I love that you say in this course that, you know, if we, if we look at some of the things that are out there, a lot of these common sense things, and you really do such a great job of breaking down even even vet visits, you know, vaccines, parasites, diet, flea you go, and tick. You go through so much in such a very streamlined way, and you say in this course that it, yeah, we our cats should be living well into their thirties. For most people, that's crazy because I think you also mentioned fourteen is the average age. Yeah, no, uh, that may be what I have in there, but you know what what bothers me on social media because I see this for dogs and cats, but people are like. Oh, he lived to 12. He had a good long life. I'm like, uh, no, he had half a life. Right. Like, not even close. It, so it, it's frustrating to me because we've been trained and had it ingrained in us that 12 is a good long life. And mm -hmm. it's not. It's not It's not even close to what I want. And I don't have good statistics for kitty cats. Like uh, For dogs, I did find that in the 1970s, the average life expectancy for like a medium-sized golden retriever type dog was 17 years. Average. Now it's 10. Wow. So in 50 years, we have gone completely backwards. We've yeah. cut their life in half. So what have we done to cats? Um, you know, we have made great strides for kitty cats because there are diseases and feeding that we know a lot more about with kitty cats now. Um, unfortunately, there were a lot of years where, well, and we still are, where we screwed up the cat feeding. So when kitty cats were allowed to just, you know, free roam and do their thing and catch their mice and their bunnies and their birds, and they were eating a meat-based diet because, oh, by the way, they're obligate carnivores. Right. They did a great job and they got tons of taurine and all the amino acids and things that they needed. They got a little bit of fiber in their diet, which they need a tiny little bit. Um, and they did a great job. And then we brought them in the house, which is fine because that protected them from getting run over. It protected them from getting beat up because we do have the, the tomcat, who's the dad of everybody. He's out there. <laughs> I have not managed to snag him. I haven't seen him in the past six weeks. Uh, when I see him, I'm getting him. Um, <laughs> so we, we have made improvements, you know, like we can take care of some things. Um, but we've also made huge strides in the wrong direction. So we went totally away from feeding the mice and bunnies and what is the species appropriate diet. And instead we're feeding them corn. Yeah. And when we went to that, and then that's how we learned that we needed taurine in the diet. Cause, Oh, look, there's no taurine there. Huh? Retinal detachments, cardiomyopathy, cats dying, 
because our food is completely wrong for them because we just said, oh, they're small dogs. Well, you know, they can eat grain. No problem. It didn't work. Yep. And it's still not working, unfortunately. And that's still what we're doing. The, you know, statistically 95% of the people feed dry kibble yep. to cats and dogs. And yes. they don't feed good ones either. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not that there is a good kibble for cats, but There's there really not- isn't. No, no, there's absolutely not, especially when it comes to our obligate carnivores, right? Like it's like nutrition is so important um, for our cats. And you're right. I mean, you think about like where cats, how, the, the epidemic of diabetes, of kidney disease, of hyperthyroidism, like all of this is is like an epidemic. We hear about it every single day. Um, you know, a new cat diagnosed with this cat is diagnosed with this or that. And it's like, what have we done that has, you know, and your course literally spells it out and it's and it everybody that follows us knows that we're super into diet and we're super into nutrition for our cats and yes i think that's a really really the probably the most important part but there are so many other pieces of the puzzle that many people miss they think well okay i'm gonna feed a good moisture rich meat-based diet to my cat and they're gonna live a long life but i'm still you know pumping them full of chemicals every month for flea and tick. I'm still taking them yearly to get their vaccines. I'm still, you know, all the other things that they think they are doing for their cat's health, but unfortunately it's, it's it works the opposite way. And Absolutely. I love that you spell that out in the course. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if you can see some of the comments coming in here. Uh, I am not seeing any comments. So I, maybe oh, I'm oh. maybe, Oh wait, it would help if I clicked on the thing that said comments. Oh, there they are. <laughs> But I think one of the things that we learned from this course that was shocking to us is that 15% of cats in the United States actually go to the vet annually. And that, I think, explains why so many of us feel like there's a Mack truck moment, right? Like we aren't doing the things, we're not doing that proactive care, not building a health history. At the same time, when you're when uh, you're looking at your cat more holistically and you're looking at things like raw diet, minimizing vaccines, not doing monthly flea and tick prevention, our veterinarians oftentimes we feel that there's a, that we're being confronted with things. What are your thoughts on how we can better communicate with our conventional vets so that our cats are getting the care that they need? So, you know, Gwen has been doing these reels where she's the veterinarian and she's the client and then she's the pet owner and, you know, whatever. So we actually discussed a reel this morning that should be coming out, I hope, soon, uh, where she is going to be the client bringing these kittens, ow, (laughs) climbing my legs, uh, bringing these kittens to the traditional veterinarian who is going to spell out the vaccine protocol, the flea and tick protocol, um, the diet protocol, all the things that the traditional veterinarians tell you that you need. And then Gwen as the client is going to refute all of those things. So watch for that because her reels are hysterical. Oh my right. goodness. I'm excited about that. That's going to yeah. be amazing. So I have really bad insomnia and I was up last night until four this morning. I got like two hours sleep. So at like three o'clock in the morning, cause she did a reel last night that was hysterical because we had this huge blow up on the Facebook page yesterday with me screaming about flea and tick chemicals. I saw that. Yeah. So, you know, I love a good rant. So I had a good rant and Gwen was like, Oh, you might've been a little over the top. I'm like, nah. <laughs> so she did her reels. Um, but I, so I'm thinking about this in the middle of the night and I'm like, Oh, we need to do one with the kittens going to the bat for the first time. So we're going to do that. Um, and what were we talking about? So, uh, so vaccines for our kitty cats, first of all, you have to look at the lifestyle for the cat. Um, and so you have to talk to your vet from the standpoint of this is my cat's lifestyle. My cat is going to live in my house. So this is some of the stuff that will show up in this reel only in a funny way. Uh, I have indoor kitty cats and my three house cats that I've had for 12 years or whatever, they do go outside. They actually have met up with the stray um, daddy cat to all these guys. There's been a couple 1 a.m. battles that I <laughs> have had to break up. Um, and he looked, I mean, he looks rough. But guess what? These mamas are Feluk FIV negative. So that means he's fine, too, because he would have given it to them. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, if you're going in and you're like, look, this is my house cat. My house does. My cat does not see anybody. My cat doesn't go anywhere. Why would I vaccinate my cat for feline leukemia 
which is spread through direct contact with other cats. Why would I be worried about feline AIDS, which is only spread through bite wounds from other cats? Why would I want to get a rabies vaccine updated every three years when the titer is probably good for 10? And you can do a titer if you need to. The biggest problem is we get veterinarians who say, I won't see your animal unless he's up to date on rabies vaccine, which is dumb because you have to bring them in to get them up to date on rabies vaccine. So they're seeing your animal to give them a rabies vaccine when they're not up to date on rabies vaccine. Anybody see a problem with this? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so they're talking out of both sides. But uh, so how do you how do you talk to your veterinarian? You literally go in with all of your research in hand. You go in saying, this is what I want. So I do not have a license in the state of North Carolina. I have a New Jersey license. I don't live in New Jersey. I need a veterinarian for my animals. I'm on the other side of the table now. It's been really fun. Uh, so I did a little research and there's a new veterinarian in town. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to give her a try. She had no clue who I was. I boxed up one cat and four dogs. I walked in there with blood samples, urine samples, and stool samples already spun down from every one of the animals, had my pile of books and information about who I am and what I do. I walked in and I said, hi, I might be your worst nightmare or I might be your best friend. Uh, here's my samples for my animals. Could you please send them to the lab? <laughs> She's like, what? And then I explained who I was and what I do. And then I actually did a live uh, Facebook live with her. And she was great because she's very traditional um, and she's young and she's actually from New Jersey. So that was even funnier. Um, but I said, look, I feed my animals raw food. Do you have a problem with that? And she said, no, I don't have a problem with that at all. And I went, okay, step one, you're, you're in. And then I said, look, I don't vaccinate. I don't use chemicals on my animals. Are you okay with that? She said, yeah, I have no problem with that. You're in. I said, I'm going to recommend you to other people. Are you going to require vaccines? Are you going to be okay if they want to do titers? Are you going to be okay if they're not doing all that traditional stuff? And she said, yeah, I'm fine. So I've been in there a lot. <laughs> I imagine. These animals. And it's funny because her technicians and receptionists, they come to me and they go, oh yeah, whenever people come and we ask them, you know, who referred them. And if they say that they heard about us from you, we treat them totally differently, which is really interesting. She's like, we, you know, we don't even talk to them about vaccines. We don't talk to them about chemicals. And so one of the things that I do, like when I took the girls in to be spayed on the form, it says, if we find external parasites, you know, fleas, ticks on your animal, we will treat them and you will be charged. I used to have the same thing on my form at my office, except we would treat them with essential oil sprays. And so I crossed it out and said, do not apply any chemicals to my animals. You have the option to do that. Mm -hmm. So I wrote in there, do not apply any chemicals to my animals. Call me if you find anything, because I kind of want to know. Uh, so you can do that. And you, what you don't want to do is you don't want to back your veterinarian into a corner and get them all defensive. Because yeah. once you start coming at them, like I know more than you do, they're going to be like, oh, you know, like, who are you? And, you know, what do you, I, I have an eight year college degree. What do you have? You, you have an internet degree. You have Dr. Google. Actually, what they have is Dr. Morgan, but still. <laughs> um, so it really is a matter of just saying, look, you know, this is my animal's lifestyle. And I know that the vaccine status on this animal is good for many more years than an annual distemper vaccine or a rabies vaccine that needs to be given, you know, blah, blah, blah. If you're in an area where you have to license your cats, that's a different story. And I, I apologize for that because we can't control that. Um, but you really need to look at your animal's lifestyle. Like, you know, leukemia vaccines, even my cats that go outside, they don't get leukemia vaccines. No. And I when I got them, I wasn't quite as holistic. They might've had one. They might've had one as a kitten. And I'm like, yeah, you're good. That'll, that'll do. Uh, like even the vet now, when these girls went in to get spayed, they got a distemper. And I don't like giving vaccines at the same time as um, surgery. However, when you're dealing with feral cats, it's a little, a little tricky. So yeah, I bent my rules. But they got their distemper vaccine. And now I keep getting these texts. Your cat is due for their second one. I'm like, no, nope, don't need a second one. We're good. Yep. Because if your animal is vaccinated for the first time as an adult, they only need one. They don't need a series. Mm 
Um, so there's a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different approaches to it. Uh, and I, I know we actually have an interview coming up with Dr. Gene Dodds about uh, vaccines and titers. Um, some, Gwen, Gwen has it set up sometime in the next month or two. Uh, and when we had our office meeting today, I said, Gwen, you do realize she vaccinates more than I do. <laughs> and Gwen said, well, that's okay. You can have differing opinions. I said, yeah, we can have differing opinions. And, you know, but I base my vaccines on what I was doing in practice. I think Gene's been out of practice for a long time. Um, but I, I do it based on what we were able to come up with. So for instance, if we got animals that didn't come in and, uh, Ron Schultz and a lot of the immunologists have done a lot of studies on this. If you have an animal who doesn't come in for their first vaccine until they're like 14 to 16 weeks old, if you give one vaccine, you get a much stronger immune response than giving a series of vaccines, starting younger when the maternal immunity is still interfering. So I started doing that, particularly with puppies. Well, I did it with kittens. Ow! <laughs> Sorry, blood. Um, I did it with kittens too, but I would tell people, you know, if they could to hold, if they could get the animal not vaccinated from the breeder or wherever they're getting it, uh, hold off. Don't bring them in until they're 14 weeks old. Mm -hmm. We'll give one vaccine and then we'll do a tighter four weeks later and we'll see where we are. Those titers blew, blew out the walls. I mean, they were just so high. They were so good. And then we'd retest them a year later to make sure they were holding into adulthood. Great titers on these animals. So much better than, you know, I, I see these kittens generally, they're not as the veterinarians aren't as bad, but they'll give them a series of three vaccines. So it's like every four weeks. So if you bring them in at six or eight weeks, you're going to get six, 10, 14, or eight, 12, 16 for puppies. If you start at six weeks, forget it. You're going to get seven. It's horrible. It is really horrible. Wow. Yeah. I, well, and you actually, in the course you talk about, um, you spell out something that we dealt with specifically oh. when it comes to vaccines. And that's when you have a cat that's indoor outdoor, which we did years ago um, because he didn't get along with our indoor cats. And he uh, got into a fight with another cat in the neighborhood and got an abscess. And we had to rush him to the emergency room. And he was he only had to get a rabies vaccine. And he had to get a rabies vaccine. <laughs> um, and, but the, 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 I think it's, it's so important. I feel like so many veterinarians say never vaccinate a sick cat, never vaccinate a cat that, that has, that, that is ill, right. Or that has something like an abscess. Um, yet, we still hear every day of people that are like, well, I have to get him vaccinated. I want, I need to take him into the vet, but they won't even look at him until he's vaccinated. Well, with Pooh Bear, this is what we did. We had to take him in and um, they had to, it was their protocol. It was their protocol. They had to vaccinate him <clears throat> for rabies. And ever since then, he's had an autoimmune disease where it's like vascular. And he, when he gets too stressed out, he will bleed from his eyes and his ears. And, and even it has an ulcer, like one at, the first time he was ever introduced to a dog, which was outside the house, it was in our backyard, not like in the house. That ulcer went in. He got so stressed that ulcer went in and hit an artery and he just started spewing blood. Oh. From like it's a, it's a horrible thing. And it's all because we didn't know better one at the time to not even keep him outside. Like we didn't know better to not, you know, to, to how to introduce him into the house. Now he's in, now he's 12. Now he's, you know, um, very well taken care of, but um, it's still a struggle. Yeah. It's still a struggle that sure. we have to deal with all the time. And that's simply yeah. because he was over vaccinated and vaccinated while he was sick, while he had a, a, an issue. So what, what illness did he have that you needed to take him in for that they insisted on the vaccine? That, that was the abscess. So he got in a fight and he had a, he had a bite from a, from another cat. Yeah. Yep. Or, and we're assuming another cat because they're cats. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Interestingly, um, the very first, so when I was a child growing up, my grandfather hated cats. My father was not a fan because he grew up with his father who hated cats. And so my whole life, I was like, can we have a kitten? Can we have a kitten? Can we have a kitten? And there was a stray kitten that started hanging out around our house. And my sister and I were like, all right, we're finally going to get a kitten. So like feeding it outside, you know, we're like, we're going to get a kitten. And one day my dad comes home and he goes, well, when I left for work this morning, I heard this noise in the car. I was five miles down the road. I stopped, I opened the hood and the kitten jumped out. So the kitten was five miles from it. So we never got our kitten. 
So my first day back from work from my honeymoon in 1985, this farmer comes in and he's got this little orange boy kitten. I love little orange kittens. And so he comes in and he goes, oh, my farm dog got a hold of the kitten and beat him up. And I just want him put to sleep. Now, I'm kind of having a bad day that day. I'm a new vet. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And I see this little kitten and I just burst into tears. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I had him sign the paperwork. I'm like, can I keep the kitten? He's like, I don't care what you do with it. <laughs> Fine. So I take the kitten in the back and we do some x-rays. Both back legs are broken. Oh. And he was literally like six weeks old. So I'm like, okay. I can make little tiny plaster casts for this kitten. So I put his whole back end in his little plaster cast and he was six weeks old. So of, he was growing so fast that every week I had to take him into the clinic with me, saw his cast off, you know, cause we had plaster then and saw his cast off, put new ones on x-ray. So he was my best car kitty. Absolutely. Ever. Um, so, but I was never allowed to have cats. And then I, I like, I fell in love with this kitty and I'll, I'll never forget my mother-in-law came and I'd only been married a couple of weeks and she walks in, she goes, that's the ugliest cat I've ever seen. And I'm like, that's my baby. <laughs> <laughs> There's such thing as an ugly cat or an ugly pet, an ugly animal. <laughs> you know what, that, that literally is like walking up to somebody and saying, man, your baby is ugly. <laughs> like, yeah. Who does that? <laughs> Mother-in-laws. That's who she, that's who yeah. <laughs> so yeah, how do you get around your vet over vaccine? I mean, it's hard. You really have to be willing to stand your ground, and you have to you have to stand it from a point of education. Um, so here's little tidbits that you can use on the AH or on the AVMA website and the AAHA, which is AHA, American Animal Hospital Association. And the first one is American Veterinary Medical Association. On both of their websites, it says, we recommend vaccinating with core vaccines no more often than every three to five years or more. So it states right there. So if you have a veterinarian who says your animal has to be vaccinated every year, they're wrong right off the bat. If you have somebody who says they have to be vaccinated every two years, they're wrong right off the bat. Um, what do you do? Oh, they stole my mouse. <laughs> um, like things are showing up on my screen. Um, so, so that's wrong right there. So you can kind of use, like if you print that out and take it in and say, yeah, I really don't need to vaccinate every year or every three years. This is every three to five. By the way, I can do titers. And the other thing is, I, so this kind of ticked me off about my local vet here. Uh, a client went in that went because I had said she was good to use. And for her distemper parvo titer and her rabies titer for her dog, she spent $500. Wow. Whoa. Little over the top, crazy over the top. Don't spend that kind of money, folks. It is not that expensive. No. So um, go on the Kansas State University Veterinary Diagnostic Lab website or the hemopet.org, which is Dr. Gene Dodd's website. The prices for the titers are right there. Will your veterinarian have to set up an account and send it to a different lab? Yep. You know what? They might appreciate the education because they might have more clients who are willing to spend money on titers if they're reasonable, right. which is still going to be more than a vaccine. So, yeah. and they're not, you know, they can attract clients by doing that. So, yeah. because there, there's more and more and more of us who are educated mm -hmm. and want to do the right thing and don't want to over-vaccinate, you know, kitty cats, somebody says some human babies are ugly. Kitty cats love to make tumors out of vaccines. They actually, they like to make tumors out of any injection. So be very careful if your cat has to get antibiotic, those long, long-acting antibiotic injections, um, anything. Cats like to make tumors out of injections. Be very careful. Um, I know it's a pain in the butt to give them oral medications. I know it's a pain in the butt. I've done it. <laughs> but it's, it's so much less risky. If you inject something like a long-term antibiotic that's going to stay in their system for like, two weeks, but really it's there for like four to six, if they have a bad reaction, you can't get it back out. There's no antidote. 
Right. Yeah. If you give something orally and they have a bad reaction, great. 12, 24 hours, it's gone. You don't give any more. Life is great. I know I have lost, I'll never forget. I was working emergency. I worked emergency service for 10 years and actually loved it. Cause I'm a like speed junkie. Like I want to, you know, run around and do a lot. At least I was at that point in my life. And, um, so I had this cat and the owner said, there is no way I can pill my cat. And I'm like, everybody can pill a cat. I'll show you. I'll give them the first dose. And I don't know why as a veterinarian at the time I had fake nails, uh, but I pilled that cat and my nail was gone. <laughs> oh, no. And I went, yeah, maybe you can't pill this cat. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, cats are difficult. And it would be a great idea to start when they're kittens. Ha ha. With eight of them. Uh, and teach them to let them get in, your, in their mouth and, you know, play with things. And I mean ideally we would all be brushing their teeth. <laughs> yes. It's much, yeah. it's much easier if you feed them raw meaty bones or a, a diet that is not going to develop dental disease. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. But I mean, we always say it too, you know, you just want to get them as kittens. If you happen to get your kitty as a kitten, then, you know, touching their butthole, like touch their face, put your fingers in their mouth, get your fingers in their ears, like get they them in their toes. <laughs> Our two oldest cats are like so difficult to, to check out, to look at their, in their mouth or because we didn't train them like that, but our four youngest, they're like, they're used to it, like Pretty giving them, giving them something. Yeah. Checking, checking out their mouths and their ears, cleaning their ears, anything like that is absolutely um, so much easier because a huge uh, difference. Them, yeah, because we trained them young. So yeah. speaking of the, the chemicals, putting the chemicals, I do want to talk a little bit about this, um, the cleantic, uh prevention thing and the worms for that matter. Cause it dry, it, drives me crazy how many veterinarians like automatically deworm cats without without even doing a fecal sample without even without even looking to see if especially kittens right it's their protocol they deworm them yep. not knowing if they have worms or not right. and then that especially as kittens with that underdeveloped immune system like the the vaccines the spay and neuter the antibiotics the the uh deworming they do all of this before they're even six months of age their their immune system hasn't completely developed and then you know a few years down the road it's like what's why is my cat so sick all the time why is my cat yep. dealing with all these things and it's and it you know i i right because we set their guts up for microbiome failure from the second week they're born yeah. um so that's one of the things that always bothered me it's like well why and even with corporate medicine even with adult animals that you bring in they automatically routinely deworm twice a year it's like well you know fecal samples are only 80% so 80% uh, effective and i'm like okay well if it's only 80% diagnostic i'll bring you a couple of them you you know give me two different negatives a, a week apart i don't care but i'm not going to give chemicals to my animal without a really good reason to do so yeah. It's like Gwen's real uh, two nights ago. She's laying in bed. Edward, her cat's laying on her face and there's a flea. Gwen freaks out. She's like, well, she did this real like 10 o'clock at night. She's like, thank God I have my natural parasite dust in the house. And so she dusted all the animals, flea combed all the animals. And so she's been doing that for the past couple of days, a couple of times a day. She's combing and dusting. And, uh, you know, you don't have to immediately jump into let me get the quickest chemical that's gonna you know wipe out everything well it may wipe out everything including your pet um and so the deworming is just i don't yes we can have occult worms occult meaning hidden like we don't see them in the stool sample we don't see them being passed and and no you're not going to pick up tapeworms on a stool sample in general you usually see them in the stool or around the cats but i'm really sorry these cats are being so obnoxious i love um, them as like background it's, it is, it is so noisy <laughs> um but you know, yes, you, you could have an occult problem going on, but your animal is going to tell you. And again, if you're feeding a species appropriate diet, they're not over vaccinated, they're not being inundated by chemicals, they have a healthy lifestyle, they're going to fight that stuff off if they get exposed. Like, I don't have a flea problem here. I don't have, I think Gwen has a flea problem at her house because 
that house under had really unhealthy animals living in it before. Um, so I think, you know, we've got some issues of cleanup around the environment. This property that we're on didn't have animals on it. It was a hay farm. Um, and all the animals that we have put on it, we have made very, very healthy with diet and minimize. Like even when the vet comes for the spring shots for the farm animals, I'm like, yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> and, and my equine vet is like, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm like, good. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I guess it's easier for me because they know I'm a veterinarian yeah. and they, they kind of know what I do. Um, my equine vet, believe it or not, I'm in North Carolina is a classmate from my vet school in Illinois. Oh, wow. So, oh, wow. How about a small world? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> it's a little weird. Um, but anyway, uh, so let's see. Somebody says the only downside of fecal tests is one might show negative and then the next might show positive. It's true. I mean, they're they're 80%. So because the problem with a stool sample is they have to actually be shedding eggs mm -hmm. at the time that you do the stool sample. So, you know, I look at my animals and I go, all right, I'm cleaning out these litter boxes for these cats. These are like the most perfectly formed poop with no odor like yes. we're good thing? we're good we didn't even know that was a side effect of feeding raw and then it was like wow this is really awesome the side effect is the poops are small they're they're much smaller because and it makes sense because the body's able to utilize the nutrients yep. that we're giving them versus all that waste when you're feeding a kibble diet that's high in, in carbs and starches and grains and things like that of course they're going to pass that out of course they you know the body says i don't need that junk and it's and it's waste. And you smell it right oh yeah oh yeah. yeah 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 i mean i've got two litter boxes in here for 10 cats and they're all using it the kittens are great about using it i love you know kittens training kittens hmm show them a box Yep. Okay, good to go. Their biggest problem was they weren't big enough to get into the box. Now that they can get in the box, they're like, yeah, we're good to go. Uh, but literally, I come in here in the morning, and 10 cats have been in that box, and they're eating four to six times a day. So there's, there's a lot of cat stuff going on. It's not a problem. It really is not a problem. Um, so, you know, it, it just it makes such a huge difference in their health. And interestingly, I, I know this is a cat show, but I am in the middle of reading Dr. Connor Brady's Feeding Dogs book. But he talks a lot about cats in there, too. And he talks about human nutrition and talks about how grains and starches and all these inflammatory things in the diet affect all of us. Oh, for sure. And it's yeah, I would recommend reading it, even though it's called Feeding Dogs. It's really like feeding the world. Um really, really interesting. And the number, I, I just read a chapter on wheat. Wheat is the number one ingredient in pet food, mm -hmm. which is, it, it surprised me. I was like, oh, I would have gone for corn. Uh, but wheat is the number one ingredient and wheat gluten in particular, and our animals don't digest it well. And that's why we have it's, it's a big part of all the inflammatory diseases that we have and the, the inflammatory bowel disease that we see and um, a little it's, known. It's also a, a big cause of the hairballs that people, oh, yeah. you know, that, that people are like, oh, it's cats just, well, we thought it too, right? We were feeding a kibble diet and we, we thought, wow, okay, yeah, of you course, there's another hairball, there's them. another hairball. But once you switch over and you realize that, that, that your cats don't need those ingredients, and you switch over to a, a good fresh food diet, then there's no more hairballs. Like it's, it's very, <laughs> that, they disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> it's yep. like, Oh yeah. I mean, and it's, it what seems is. like it's common sense now, but really, you know, didn't, didn't even, even think about it. One and one and one together. Yeah. I love Laura Lee and Mar Marilyn, two of our beautiful VIPs. Marilyn's a super fan, by the way. Um, she's got feeding dogs book in her cart for Amazon right now. Laura Lee is asking, I think she asked this earlier too. Is it true that North Carolina does not recognize Rabies titers. Rabies titers. I think all 50 states don't recognize it for um, if you're looking at uh, licensing requirements, that sort of thing, that none of them. Uh, Arizona, oh, wait, Delaware may. Delaware was working on it when I left uh, the Northeast. Um, Delaware was working on it. And I actually had a client. Her husband was the mayor of a town in southern New Jersey. She, she got him to get their town to accept titers, which was amazing. So it's kind of like who you know. Um, and then there was a senator in Arizona. Somebody got in their ear a few years ago. I don't know whether it's still going on. And they were looking at um, accepting 
titers, but it's a long haul and it literally is going to have to go municipality by municipality, state by state uh, until we get that. Because here's the problem with a titer. You get a titer done on your animal. And so the rabies titer that you get done at Kansas State, there's two different, two levels that you can get. One just says, so they recognize 0.5 or greater as being protective. Now, there are immunologists who would argue that, no, any positive titer, even if it's 0.1, if we detect it, it's good. So we have, hi, mama. So we have that problem of, you know, do we have to go with a 0.5 or do we go, okay, any titer, like if they're showing that they have antibodies there, is that... (laughs) That was the best. I'm so happy that happened live. <laughs> I, you know, this is why I don't let them in here. Well, you know, whatever. We've, we're destroying things. I mean, um, okay. This is why they're, but you know, I've locked them out of my studio, but they're destroying the office. They're doing the same thing in there. Um, I tried to do a live yesterday and literally I had cats like climbing on me. Um, <laughs> what the heck was I talking about? Oh, we were talking oh about God. tighter tests. I really truly feel like maybe just the more voices that we have, the more, um, the more, the more it will become a a a, a normal thing in practice yeah. uh, to do titers. And you know, we started years ago. We did this like titer challenge where it was like, okay, Ugh. call your vet and ask them um, if they would do a titer test, run a titer test. Like this is the challenge. Just call your vet and ask them. Like come back to us with the answer. You don't have to get a titer test. You don't have to. That's a great challenge. I, I'm going to use that. Right, because yeah. it's like we need more and more people to. Be familiar with yeah, this and uh, understand that this is an option. Well, we need more veterinarians to understand that it even exists. Yes, yes. So here's part of the problem. Um, there's there's two main veterinary labs. Like veterinarians want things to be easy. And oh, by the way, the labs give you a lot of perks if you sign up to yeah. send all your lab work to them. Right. So the two main veterinary labs are Antec, which has now been bought by a big candy company that shall remain unnamed, but we all know who it is. Um, and then there's IDEX labs. So those are the two main veterinary labs. We had worked with Antec forever. That that was just the lab, like every clinic I ever worked in, we, we used Antec. So of course, when I had my own clinic, I was like, yeah, of course I'll use Antec. You know, and then Antec was like, if you sign up to uh, use only our lab for the next five years, and if you agree to do X number of dollars per month, we'll give you perks. Well, we got tens of thousands of dollars in cash up front. We got new x-ray equipment. We got new ultrasound equipment. When I sold my clinic, my associate, we were kind of like, okay, well, like you need money in the bank to like, start the clinic because the money that's in the bank is mine and I'm taking it. So <laughs> like, so we, we, I had a contract with the lab that was about to run out. And I said, well, if I re-sign up because it was going to run out before she was going to buy, I said, if I re-sign up, can it then be transferred to her? And they said, yes. I said, okay, great. She ended up with, so she bought both clinics. She ended up with new uh, digital x-ray in both clinics, new $50,000 ultrasound unit that nobody knew how to use, but they were also going to send her to take the courses to learn how to use this thing. And they gave her $120,000. Wow. Just for signing up to say, I will use your lab almost, you know, pretty much exclusively for the next five years. Well, IDEX does the same exact thing. Like they'll give you all this equipment and they will give you cash if you will sign up to use only that lab. So when a veterinarian signs up for a specific lab, that's who they're pretty much hooked to. Um, and unfortunately, IDEX and Antec, where do they send their rabies and distemper titers? Kansas State. Really? So you're paying okay. them as the middleman. Uh, so what you need to do is get to your veterinarian and say, look, I printed out the page from Kansas State. It says right here, the titer costs $45 or whatever it is. Um, maybe more for the rabies. But you know, this is the one I want. This is what it costs. I'm willing to pay you because you know, they have a markup on it. It's usually double. So it's $45. I'll pay you 90 and I'll pay you for the office visit and blood draw. Great. No problem. We, we got a hundred, 125 bucks in here. Good to go. Not $500. And right. 
part of the problem is, and, and you know, when you can look at Jean Dodds and what her, um, it used to be Dr. Rob, but he quit doing them. Um, and I, I get it. It's a pain. Uh, but Dr. Dodd's lab still does them. Uh, so if you bring your veterinarian, all that information and say, look, just, I want you to send it here. Or how about I'll send it in myself. I'm here, take the blood, spin it down, hand it back to me. I'll, you know, overnight it myself. Um, so some of them have to be overnighted on ice. So that can be a little tricky. Like don't send them on Friday. It's bad um what is it? it's kansas state university veterinary diagnostic lab so it's probably ksu vdl or something like that for the website um but if when you come in armed with that information like look i know what it costs like you know we don't have to spend 400 hours to do this we can do it for less uh it doesn't cost the veterinarian anything to set up an account with them Right. It, it's literally filling out a form and saying, here's my credit card. I'll pay you for it. And then they charge you. Um, so it's, it's really simple. Like I, I had accounts, even though I got all this money from Antec and they were my main lab, I had accounts with Kansas state, with Cornell, with Texas A&M, with Michigan state, like all the different labs, every lab, Tennessee, every lab has their own, like Texas A&M is the GI lab. You have a GI problem with your animal. You want it to go to Texas. You have a thyroid problem. It either needs to go to Michigan or it needs to go to Dr. Dodd's. You have a Cushing's problem. It needs to go to University of Tennessee. The problem is veterinarians don't look into all that. So they just use their one lab and that's it. Um, um, so it really is the owner. And, and I hate to say that. Um, and actually, I just, I had a survey that came out today from the eight, well, came out last week, but I got it again today from the AVMA. And there's two things that they are looking at changing in, um, at their meeting in July. One of them is the Veterinary Model Practice Act, which talks about reciprocity between states. Now, why after practicing medicine for 36 years in the state of New Jersey, why can I not just transfer my license right. to North Carolina. Why do I have to take an exam again to be able to practice in North Carolina? After 36 years of practice with no bad marks on my record, to me, it would make sense if we had reciprocity and maybe some of us retired veterinarians because there's a shortage, maybe we would consider helping out and maybe we would be more willing to be on the front lines if we didn't have to jump through all these hoops to do it. Yeah. So that's one of the things that's coming up for discussion. The other thing that's coming up for discussion, and this is, this is, this is a big hot button is, uh, in the emergency coverage that is stated in the ABMA right now, it says that as a veterinarian, we have to provide our clients with coverage for emergency services. And it doesn't mean that we have to cover it, but we have to give them phone numbers, references, like where they can go for emergency care. Okay. Well, since I left New Jersey and I didn't cover emergencies in my clinics, we had emergency clinics. We had like five of them that were then a short drive. So it was easy. Um, but I've been getting texts in the middle of the night from people. And remember, I'm an insomniac, so I get these things saying, my dog has hemorrhagic gastroenteritis. He's vomiting blood. He's pooping blood. I've called eight emergency services and nobody will see him. Everybody says they have a six to eight hour wait. Mm. I am hearing this everywhere. I got something. Uh, mm. It's a medical malpractice suit that I've been asked to comment on where a dog that was seeing an oncologist for chemotherapy uh, had really advanced lymphoma. The oncologist went on vacation. The dog crashed. The oncologist left no one on call. The uh, specialty hospital that she worked in said, we won't see the dog because we can't change the chemo. We can't do anything for the dog because she's not here to give us direction. So here's an owner with an animal that is literally crashing who can't oh. find a service to help them. And her doctor's out of town for two weeks. Oh, so wow. That is something that they're looking at changing. They're like, we think this is uh, too much onus on the veterinarian to have to actually provide emergency coverage because veterinarians are too stressed and stretch too thin and they don't have enough coverage. And I'm like, yeah, it's a big problem. We don't have enough veterinarians. We don't have enough coverage, but we can't leave our clients with nothing. Yeah. Like, what do you do it. I mean, for me, I know what I do because 
you know, I got supplies and I got knowledge. But what do you do if you're the owner of that cat who is a urinary blockage and can't urinate and none of the emergency services will see you because they're eight hours backed up? Mm. What do you do? It is a huge problem. And they're they're estimating that we will have a 30% veterinary shortage by yeah. 2030. It's a huge problem. So this is why the cat longevity course, my dog longevity course, this is why they're so important because you need to know how to keep your animals healthy. Yes. You, need, you need to know what to do at home. Like, what can I do with herbal therapy? What can I do with food therapy? What, what can I do to one, prevent the problems? And two, what can I do to keep things together until I can get in to see somebody? Um, we're actually working on, it's going to be a really huge course. It's a hospice course for dogs. Um, although cat owners could take it and get a lot of information too, but it's a hospice course for dogs. Oh, my granddaughter's here. <laughs> We're going to have more, more noises. Um, so it's going to be about a 30 hour course, but it really talks about every body system and how to deal with issues with, wow. from, from a medication point, from an alternative point. Like, what do I do? Uh, like I have an oxygen cage in my house for my dog that's in stage D heart failure. I don't want him sitting in an emergency service somewhere. I'm going to give him oxygen here if he needs oxygen. Right. Um, and it's, it's just, unfortunately it's come to the point where we have to empower pet owners. We yeah. have to give pet owners the knowledge to deal with things on their own. And that sucks that you well, have. I don't, know. I don't think I, I, I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. I think that, you know, the more empowered we are as pet parents, literally, this is going to change the trajectory of everything that we've undone for the past 50 years, right? Like we're going to see this longevity is going to start happening when we as pet parents are empowered to know and take care of our, take care of our animals the way that, um, you know, they were meant to be taken care of. Yeah. And I have to say this course uh, really is such a game changer. I love how simple it is. I think it's literally called cat longevity. It's only an Made hour long easy, guys, but you cover stress, environmental stressors, all the stress that how you have like almost a behavioral touch to going over your cat's perspective. You cover nutrition, you cover vaccines, you cover avoiding chemical, uh, treatments, avoiding chemical exposures. You cover so much and you cover vet visits. I really think you said a moment ago when we were talking about the titer testing, that if you can come armed with this information, armed with this information, you guys, this course is being armed with so much information and in a way that's super digestible, really easy to understand. And you really hit on those big topics in a way I'm getting chills again. <laughs> that is so empowering and, and coming from you, knowing your experience, knowing the work, how you've dedicated your life to changing the lives of all of these pets. It is a, a, an inc it's incredible that it all fits into an hour and you guys <laughs> The link for it, it is. is in the, I can't believe we've yeah. already <clears throat> Oh, we've already an taken hour you over an hour. Yes. The link for this is in the description of the video, you guys. Yes. Um, the, yeah, the link is in the description here. Also on the podcast, um, the link will be in the description. Um, guys, if you want to like feel empowered, if you want to feel like you have the tools in your toolbox necessary to, to make your cats live the longest and healthiest and happiest life, you have to take this course. It's so, it's so. And you have access to it forever. So like Jay and I have yeah. gone through it a few yeah. times. So what a gift. If you us. need a refresher, you can go back and watch it again. Yes. Or go to the specific module. So it's also broken down to where, you know, if you, if you just need to know about flea and tick prevention, you can click here, right? If you just need to know about vaccines, which vaccines are good, which I oh, love okay. how you spell it out. Like you literally spell out the different types of vaccines and yeah. are they necessary and what are the side effects and things like it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, so, so guys go and, um, click the link and uh, start your course today or this yes. weekend. It's only an hour long. So Dr. Morgan, uh, thank you for spending an hour and four minutes. Of your uh, you're welcome. Somebody asked if the, said they wish there were more house call vets. There are, there are a ton of house call vets. And when I moved to North Carolina, I found a ton of house call vets. And that's, I, I actually used a house call vet first um, because we needed my mom's dog put down and she was 17 and a half. And uh, the house call vet was amazing. Um, so look for them. They are, there's more and more of them coming up because, uh, you know, it's, I think that's 
kind of were going back to the small town country doc coming to your house and doing yeah. things. I, I, the veterinarians are frustrated with the corporate medicine as well. Yeah. Um, that could be another whole podcast, but um, you know, you they are available. Podcast. I would definitely look for them and yeah. uh, look for cat friendly practices, fear free practices, that sort of thing. Yes. Um, they cover that so well in the course, by the yes, way, you, you guys, do. it's literally a checklist of the things that we can do to prepare, not just ourselves, but our cats. For the vet visits, for the yeah, that they need. Yep. Um, people are Marilyn here said, "Bring her back, Dr. Morgan." <laughs> we maybe we know that you are so incredibly busy, and you are such a gift. And every time I would come back for you guys any day. Oh, <laughs> yay! <laughs> oh, Thank we you, love so, you much. so much. Do you have Thank any? You so I, I, I feel like we, I didn't realize how far over time you've been, and I, you've had a granddaughter there, and all your yeah, it, and, they live next door. It's Gwen and and Bean. And here's the thing: we got this house for Gwen because she needed a house you know it was sort of the last minute like oh crap she needs a place to live because they were living in our guest room for a while and a barn. <laughs> well two big dogs two cats a kid and a, and a and another you know the grandkid in in our guest room after six weeks was getting old so we bought the next door neighbor's house and uh it's great except the house has two bathrooms with showers she has sarah is 21 months old no tub so she comes here to bathe her every night. <laughs> so, you know, it's it, we're we're a very close-knit family. Her dad lives about seven miles down the road, uh, if no, maybe three miles down the road. So, I mean, and we all moved here from New Jersey and we all landed in the same place. It's all good. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, we're coming to see we're you. Coming. Yeah, we're going to absolutely we're gonna come visit. Book a flight and come out right now. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you everyone who joined. Um, Again, click the link and be sure to sign up for the cat longevity course. um, so that we can all be empowered together. Um, Dr. Judy Morgan, we will, we will contact your people. We'll have your people. Our people, people. my people, that's Gwen. Gwen. (laughs) Yes. So I'll contact Gwen and we'll, We'll work out another time to have you back and, and talk about one of the, uh, we could a million things There's that we so could actually things. talk about. You're so much fun to talk to. So thank you so much. Uh, enjoy your cocktail and everybody have a happy Thursday. And I apologize for crazy kittens, but they are what they are. We love you. We love you. Thank you so much. Good night, ladies.